to the first episode of A Nerdstorian's Guide to Modern Board Games. I'm your host, Jaina, and I'm here to wade through the boring parts of history, bringing you the interesting backgrounds of today's games and mechanisms. To any returning listeners from my previous podcast, Jasses Begancy, most recently titled Ansi Degancy, thank you so much for jumping ship with me. You may be asking yourself right now, why would you want to listen to me ramble about a seemingly boring topic? Last month, I would have fully agreed with you, but it turns out that the history of games and modern publishing is full of crazy stories. I went into this first series of episodes fairly confident about where Roland writes begin, uh, Yahtzee, anyone? And within 15 minutes, I had unearthed a crazy story of potential trademark and copyright infringement, mysterious Canadian millionaire yachters, and an interesting tie-in with bingo. Is that enough clickbait for you? Each episode, I'll be taking a modern board game mechanism, topic, or designer and diving into the history behind them, tying together multiple sources ranging from Board Game Geek to books to primary research articles. Then I'm going to form my own interpretations to bring you a comprehensive and most definitely not boring story of how we got to where we are today. On that note, I figured what better place to start than Roland Writes? This genre has exploded over the last few years going from fewer than 20 games listed on BoardGameGeek before 2000 to over 150 listed in the category just in 2022. And I expect that number is nowhere near accurate to the actual number of Roll and Write games out there from last year, but BoardGameGeek oddly doesn't have Roll and Write as a searchable mechanism, let alone Flip and Write and all the other iterations and spinoff. Not only are there a lot of them, they are incredibly popular. From my previous podcast, the download numbers for our first Roll and Write episode are around quadruple our average download numbers. It's pretty clear that they've become incredibly popular in the last few years. Why that explosion? I don't really know for sure, but I have some pretty good guesses. For the most part, roll and writes are incredibly easy to get to the table. You normally just take out some dice, grab a player sheet for everyone, and start rolling. A lot of them are also really simple to learn, and with many people having played Yahtzee at some point in their life, they already have an intuitive grasp on how it works. They're also relatively easy to design in the sense that you don't need a prototype, you know, a whole bunch of difficult-to-make components. In fact, you could just kind of create your own with some dice you already have, a piece of paper, and a pencil. Many of the most popular print-and-play games coming out now are roll and writes, and I think a huge part of the appeal is that they're so easy to print out yourself. No need to spend ages creating boards, cards, tokens. Just, you know, just print out a sheet or two of paper, grab a dice and a pencil, and you're ready to go. Roll and rights are often also lighter on rules in complexity too. Not always, of course, everyone will be yelling out Hadrian's Wall and Twilight Inscription at me right about now, but the vast majority of them are on the lighter and quicker side. That makes them easy to learn and play and a great option to pull out for a variety of different groups. On top of that, they will often play up to as many people as you have sheets left on the pad, which is a level of flexibility that very few other games can match. They're also usually on the more compact side, so they're incredibly easy to toss into a bag and bring anywhere with you. Unlike trying to haul a feast for Odin everywhere you go. Not that I've ever tried to do that. That would be weird, right? <laughs> Anyways, so with that introduction out of the way, it's time to hop into our time machine and head way back about 4,500 years or so. Oh, did everyone make it? No one got left behind? 
Okay, perfect. Welcome to 2500 BCE. I brought us back here to observe some of the earliest form of dice. Ancient dice actually got their start from soothsaying or casting lots to try to foretell the future. These dice mostly consisted of a bunch of binary items. Uh, binary items are those items that can land either one of two ways, sort of like flipping a coin nowadays. Do you ever find yourself wanting to roll a six-sided die, but you just don't have one handy? Or your cell phone handy, apparently? You can replace 1d6 with five binary objects, such as cowrie shells, nuts, coins, popsicle sticks, really anything that has a roughly equal chance of landing one of two ways. How you're going to do it? You're just going to toss all five items up into the air, then record how many, you know, quote unquote heads you get, giving you a value somewhere between zero to five. Two items landed heads? Great. You just rolled a two. You can actually see this in action in an episode of Lost. Check out Season 6, Episode 9 to see characters playing a variation on the ancient Egyptian game of Senate, which is a race game where you're flipping multiple staves, sticks with one flat side and one rounded side, to see how far you can move each turn. All right, so that was how dice started. And then by 800 BCE, astragals were introduced. Those were four-sided dice, usually created from sheep knuckle bones. Cuboid dice followed shortly after that, with the earliest appearance being attributed to the Lydians of Asia Minor. Never heard of them before. That was back in 6th or 7th century BCE. Have you noticed that six-sided dice are always tend to be laid out so that opposite sides add up to seven? This has been happening since the time of ancient Greece, most likely because that layout provided the best balanced dice, which was especially if important if they were made by sticking pips on the outside rather than engraving indents like most dice are nowadays. All right, if everyone's grabbed any souvenirs that they wanted from ancient times, then we are ready to hop back into the time machine to travel way ahead to the 1900s. We made it! I expect that everyone, myself included, assumes that we're here for Yahtzee. And while we're not wrong, we do have a couple of predecessors that we need to check out first. You may or may not know that Yahtzee is very similar to, and most likely developed from, Yacht, which is a folk game played with dice, where you're trying to roll different combos on your dice with the ability to re-roll up to three times. The earliest published instance that I could find was from 1938 in The Complete Book of Games, and it looks almost identical to Yahtzee. Really, it just mostly has a few scoring differences. From then, in 1943, a box of 30 games was published called Luck that could all be played with the five included dice. Most of these games were you know, also based on folk games, and while 29 of these games have melted into obscurity, one remained. It was called Yahtzee, uh, spelled Y-A-T-Z-I-E, and was, of course, based on Yacht. We're still not quite yet at Yahtzee as we know it, though. In my searching for the first Roll and Write on Board Game Geek, I came across a game called Guffy. It was published in 1952 and, yet again, sounds very much like Yahtzee. In fact, there's a thread on BGG where two different users claim that their grandmother actually copyrighted Guffy in Roswell, New Mexico in 1952. Or potentially the same user from two different accounts. I have reached out to both of those users and one did get back to me, but sadly his family does not still have any of that uh, copyright paperwork. 
That would have been very cool. Regardless, it seems likely that there was certainly a group of women back in the 50s in Roswell published and potentially copyrighted what was basically Yahtzee four years before Yahtzee itself was published. One of the BGG users in the thread claims that the Guffy creators tried to fight for their copyright, but were outfunded by the much larger company that first published Yahtzee in 1956. Unfortunately, I can't verify that information for sure, but it certainly sounds like something that could have very easily occurred. All right, and that finally brings us to Yahtzee, first published in 1956 by Edwin S. Lowe, who was a game and toy entrepreneur who officially published other hit folk games such as Bingo. I guess that one might be a bit obscure, but hopefully someone will have heard of it. As the story goes, Yahtzee was invented by a wealthy Canadian couple while cruising around the world on their yacht, hence the name Yahtzee. Eh, some versions even claim that while cruising around the world, the couple visited Tibet, where they learned of an ancient dice game called Yahtzee, spelled Y-A-T-S-E-E, and they took the main concept and used that to develop the modern game we know today. I mean, that does seem like a really cool origin story. Um, but I can't verify it, and I can't even find any reference to a Tibetan game called Yahtzee, which makes me think that it might be a little too neat and tidy to be true. I would love to be proven wrong, though. And I mean, it's not too far-fetched to assume that multiple people took this, you know, folk game called Yacht and came up with their own versions. Anyways, however it happened, the story claims that the couple approached well-known toy entrepreneur Edwin S. Lowe to publish their game, as they wanted to have published copies available for their friends. It's claimed that they actually released the copyright to Edwin Lowe in exchange for the first 1,000 published copies of the game, which, you know, to be fair, kind of feels like something wealthy socialites would do. But again, I have nothing other than a couple of websites that obviously copied each other to back that claim up. Either way, Yahtzee slowly gained popularity through the 60s and 70s and has become by far the most widely played and distributed rule and write game of all time. Edwin Lowe's company was eventually bought out by Milton Bradley, which eventually became a subsidiary of Hasbro in the 80s, which is where the trademark lives today, along with tens if not hundreds of variations of the game. I for one grew up with the Disney version as a kid, and I get a nostalgic hit every time I see that version in a thrift store. While Yahtzee certainly dominated the roll and write sphere early on, there are a few other honorable mentions. In 1940, there was a published game called Spare Time Bowling, which looks to be a purely luck-based game based on bowling-style scoring. The first non-yacht-based roll and write on BGG that involves some sort of decisions from the players looks to be Six Steps, which has a date of 1965 and looks like it's published by Hasbro, Uh, prior to their acquisition of Yahtzee. Six Steps hovers a rating of 3.4 on there, so I can understand why Hasbro would have been keen to acquire the rights to Yahtzee instead. If you want to try out this piece of roll and write history, though, you can follow the link in the show notes to the Six Steps BGG entry, where you can find pictures of the score sheets and an explanation of the rules. I will end this podcast with one last game. Many people today will have heard of Can't Stop, a Sid Saxon classic from 1980. Well, not technically a roll and write as there is no writing, it does give off strong roll and write vibes. 
And that might be because it was likely developed from an older Sid Saxon game published in 1974 called The Great Races, which was themed on horse racing. The Great Races has the same mechanism of rolling four dice and splitting them into groups of two dice, then marking off on the track for that value of horse or those values of horses, I guess. But it's lacking that push-your-luck element that makes Can't Stop shine. And the game actually goes until all 10 races are complete, assigning scores for each race. I think Can't Stop is the clear winner here, but if you want to give the great races a try, you can find the score sheets and rules in the Board Game Geek entry for the game by following, again, that link in the show notes. Well, that brings our tour of historic roll and write games to a close. Tune in next week to continue the journey as we dive into the modernization of the genre. We'll take a look at all the variations that have sprung up and the current boom that the genre is experiencing. Since I have a captive audience, I'll probably share some of my roll and write faves as well. Thank you so much for listening to this inaugural episode, and I hope that you enjoyed it. I have included all my sources and links to any games mentioned on BoardGameGeek in the show notes in case you want to do some more reading or try out some of those early roll-in rights. Please hit that subscribe button to be notified of upcoming episodes, and tune in September 22nd for Roll-in Rights Part 2. If you want to be part of the episode, just send me an email at gamenerdstorian at gmail.com and tell me your favorite role and write, or let me know which ones I should have mentioned in this episode. Bye!